Hey church family, my name is Hannah and I serve on our student life team. Right now, as a church family, we're taking part in an intentional and extended time of communion with God through several rhythms and practices, individually and as a community. I want to invite you to join us in three ways during this 40-day period of time leading up to Holy Week known as Lent. First, join our Bible reading plan, which involves two chapters a day followed by a time of prayer. Second, come out Wednesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. in the East Worship Center to pray together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And third, commit to pray for one family member, one friend, and one coworker that they would come to a saving relationship with Jesus. Imagine what God could do in our midst and through us as we spend time in His Word and on our knees together in prayer. Check out wheatonbible.org Easter for more information about Lent and our upcoming Holy Week services. I'm so excited because CareFest is coming up on Saturday, May 14th. Now, that may seem far away, but now is a perfect time for you to offer suggestions for ways we could get together to serve our surrounding communities, neighbors, and family members through a CareFest project. When you share your project ideas now, it gives us the time we need to plan, get supplies, and invite a team of volunteers to serve on May 14th. In the past, we've done yard work for neighbors and local organizations in need, brought joy and friendship to local nursing homes, repaired deck steps, painted rooms, and even reorganized a garage for someone. I can't wait for you to join me and many others this year. Find out more information about CareFest and suggest a project by visiting wheatonbible.org carefest. 
Finally, if you've been attending for a while or are ready to make Wheaton Bible Church your home, we'd love to have you in our new members class. Our next class is Sunday, March 20th, after the 1030 service in Connect Central. To register and for more information, click on membership at wheatonbible.org or reach out to Andy Stahl at astahl at wheatonbible.org. Oh wait, one more thing. Has this ever happened to you? Hello? Sunday, March 13th begins daylight savings time. So don't forget to spring ahead one hour next week, Saturday night, so you're not late to Sunday service the next morning. We can't wait to see you there. That's all I have. Thanks for starting your week in worship with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Wheaton Bible Church. That's happened to me. I sat in a church parking lot. I didn't have the keys one Easter Sunday. And so my family was there sitting in the parking lot waiting for that extra hour that we could have been sleeping. I know that won't ever happen to you, right? It is such a pleasure to worship God together in the unity of the faith. And I think that today with this special theme of generosity, the generosity of God and the generosity of God's people, we have an opportunity to exemplify, to model that to the world, and it's being done right now in all sorts of places that you know of, that you hear of in the news, that the generosity of God's people is on display, and heaven only knows the sum of it, right? Well, there's this word from Psalm 133, but I, in the olden days when I heard uh, Leighton Ford preach at Wheaton College Chapel, he had a wonderful way of entering into worship. He said, Lord Jesus Christ, speak to me. So I want to ask you to say that with me, and then I'm going to read a psalm verse from 133, and then we will continue with singing. Lord Jesus Christ, speak to me. You can do it. Don't be afraid. Lord Jesus Christ, speak to me. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. Running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Can you picture it? For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Will you stand, please?
Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. How can I keep from singing? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. How can I keep from singing? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. How can I keep from singing? David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. How can I keep from singing? Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. How can I keep from singing? You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. How can, How can I keep from singing? The peace of Christ. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart. All thought and ever singing. All things am I.
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I have a feeling that if we had time to 
sit together one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, we could talk about the ways that in each of our lives we're far off, far off from God's pleasure, his will, far off because of decisions we've made that are faulty or sinful. So this morning, the prayer of confession really speaks to that and talks about the generosity of God that we want to celebrate today. So will you pray with me and make these words your own if you can. If you can't, think about them. Take them away in your hearts and reflect in the coming days. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for loving us enough to hate our sin and for caring enough to crush our selfish desires. Under your merciful conviction and through gracious repentance, you wash us. You are so kind and so good, full of grace and mercy. Oh God, you've never held back from us. Why do we hold back from you? You gave us everything you had given us by your Son, Jesus Christ. The Creator God, the Sovereign Lord, the Almighty Maker, the World Sustainer, the Fountain of all joy and the wellspring of all life has given us, sinners, himself. Has given us, sinners, himself. And through Jesus, you freely and continually give now as you will fully and endlessly give throughout eternity. With this truth bearing upon our minds and sinking into our souls, we pray, give us a generous heart. Give us a heart that seeks to give and rejoice and rejoices in doing so. We pray we would not forget or have to fight to remember to be generous. May it come naturally to us, free-flowing like mountain waters, they never run dry. We pray we would not be oblivious nor ignorant of all the needs of others, but aware and discerning, quick to respond to every impulse of your love. So move us with compassion and joy. Change us. Teach us. Allow us to drink deep of your spirit, Lord Jesus. Consecrate us now and prepare us to be generous, not once, not twice, but always. Your name is precious to us, Jesus, and it's in your dear name that we pray. And all God's people in solidarity said, Amen. Amen. For I For I know 
Well, good morning, church family. Um, I have uh, kind of a special segment uh, for us this morning uh, because I have some updates from the field and also want to lead us specifically in prayer for Russia and Ukraine and the surrounding countries. Um, so first, uh, I do want you to know uh, we do have partners and missionaries on the ground, both in Russia and Ukraine and in all of the uh, surrounding countries or many of the surrounding countries. We have heard from all of them this week. They are all um, safe um, and they're also seeking ways to faithfully minister which is really why we want to specifically lift them up in prayer this morning and throughout the week. So what I want to do um, is give you some specifics so that uh, where I can give you names, you have names. Uh, if I can't give names uh, because of our presence online, I'm going to give agencies, but so that you uh, today and in the weeks ahead can have specific groups to be lifting up as they minister in the midst of this conflict, okay? Um, one of our missionaries who spent 30 years in Russia and Ukraine joined our staff uh, this week. He, was, he joined our staff and joined us via Zoom, and, and this was one of his many quotes. But very tearfully, he turned to our staff, and gratefully, he said, do not consider prayer as something insignificant or useless. In fact, for most of us, this is our most powerful weapon or our only tool that we have in a crisis like this. So church, I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray for peace in the region. I'm asking you to pray for our workers in the specifics we'll pray for in just a minute. So um, 
here's who we have in the region. Maybe uh, many of you might know our, our sent missionaries for a long time, the, the Kulikovs, who worked uh, throughout the whole, whole region in, in the former Soviet Union, providing scriptures, training of leaders, uh, humanitarian aid. Many of you may know the Kurzes who serve with little lambs, who have cared beautifully for orphans, and who are currently caring for many of the most vulnerable who are crossing the border. We want to lift them up in prayer. Our partners in Russia and Ukraine serving with Mission Eurasia and all of their workers. And we're also lifting up our missionaries in the neighboring countries of Poland, Slovakia, Romania, and Hungary as they begin to see receive Ukrainians fleeing the country into these neighboring nations. And our partners there, we want to lift up Greater Europe Mission. We want to lift up all the workers of Josiah Venture and of Romania Leadership Ministries. And we know across all of those ministries, those who have dorms or camps or houses, presence, all of those things in the region that they are um, seeking to open their doors. So if you are looking for organizations ministering through the body of Christ to support, all of these are long-term trusted partners of our church too. So I wanted you to know that there are these tangible ongoing connections in the region. God has his servants and his leaders there and his people are present on the ground in the midst of this. And church family, I also know too that many here have extended family connections in the region too. And I want to invite you to please, please let our church know how we can pray for you. So there's the QR code in the, the seats next to you or the prayer or connect cards or um, you know connecting out in the atrium. Please let us know. Our staff gathers every single Tuesday and last Tuesday we were on our knees together in a time of prayer um, for the region. Okay? Everybody receive that. Okay. So what I want us to do this morning um, if you are able, and if you're not able, it's absolutely okay. If you are able, could we go to our knees in prayer for the world and specifically for this conflict in Ukraine and Russia? Lord, we, we come before you humbled to know, Father, grateful to be a church family here at Wheaton Bible Church across all congregations and campuses, but fully knowing, Lord, we are part of a global body of leaders who all worship you, the Lord of the nations, the King, the creator of all things. And so we come before you with churches around the world, with our missionaries and partners, Father, and we lift up the nations to you. We lift up our world leaders in every government and every nation for all of those responding to the conflict in Russia and Ukraine and beyond. Father, we pray because we know the wisdom of man will fail. But we know that your wisdom, Lord, as the Lord of all nations, will not fail. So, Father, please grant your presence, grant your wisdom to every leader. And we pray, Lord, would you please protect the vulnerable? 
Give strength to all who are protecting life, courage to all who are protecting life. Grant perseverance to the suffering. And so, Lord, we pray for the, now we know, more than 1.5 million and growing refugees flooding into the nations of Europe. Lord, we pray for your people. We pray for all of your workers with Mission Eurasia, Josiah Venture, Greater Europe Mission, Little Lambs, Romania Leadership Institute, Father, and all of the others, Lord, who are ministering in your name amidst the conflict. Lord, we pray for the resources they will need. First of all, and foundationally, spiritually, Lord, the power of your presence. But we pray for the material resources they will need to minister, not just in the days and weeks, but in the months and likely years ahead. So that all of those who are suffering, who are fleeing, would find help. And Lord, would they find help offered in the name of Jesus Christ through your people and your church and that you would be glorified. And Father, I pray for our extended family. For family members, friends, loved ones in the region, we pray for protection. And again, Lord, in all worldly wisdom, where worldly wisdom would state where there cannot be peace, please, Lord, send and strengthen your peacemakers in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And where the world would say that walls of hostility seem the strongest and couldn't be torn down, in your power we pray, Lord, bring them crumbling down. And so, Lord, may your presence through your church shine among the nations. We pray, Lord, for peace. We pray, Lord, for a peace that surpasses all understanding. That as the world and the nations look on, Lord, the only word that could be used is miracle. And those only come from you. You are holy. And as we pray, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, good morning, familia. What a blessing it is that as a church, the Lord has given us the powerful weapon of prayer. Amen? I want to invite you to continue to pray for everything we pray for. If you, if you want to remember some of the things we mentioned this morning, which is what I'm planning to do, go back and watch everything that Kyle mentioned at the beginning. And pray specifically for one, every single one of those things that he mentioned this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, so good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you who don't know, uh, who don't know me, uh, I want to welcome you all to Witten Bible Church. And for those of you, obviously, that are worshiping here in person, for those of you worshiping with us online, um, we are always glad that, you cho- that you're choosing to be with us and worship uh, together with us. Uh, we are currently doing a series that we have called uh, Gospel Culture, in which we're looking into 12 different biblical traits that help us define what the church is supposed to be. It gives us a blueprint of the things that we need to believe and practice for spiritual renewal. And uh, it also gives us the tools necessary to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. 
three purposes for this series. It gives us a blueprint of what a biblical church is. It gives us what is needed for us to experience spiritual renewal. And number three, it gives us what is necessary for us to remain faithful and fruitful uh, as things continue, continue to change in this world. So far, we've talked about seven of those different things. We talked about the supremacy of the scripture, the centrality of the gospel, the power of prayer, the pleasure of worship, the pursuit of the common good, the significance of leadership, the practice of the means of grace, and today we're going to talk about the discipline of generosity. There is no church in the New Testament that does not practice the principle of generosity. Now, when we use the term generosity, two assumptions automatically come to the surface, if you will. I, I, I want to argue that there are two assumptions in the congregation right now. The first assumption is that I'm going to ask you for money. And I'm here to tell you that you are so right. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm not. I'm going to ask you for more than money. I'm going to ask you to surrender your life. Because generosity is not just about money. It's about life. The second assumption is that, that when we talk about generosity, we're going to talk about money. But the reality is that, as we're going to see in a second, when we use the term generosity, that's about everything in your life. Not just your money. So for those of you that uh, feel uncomfortable when we talk about money, don't worry. I'm going to talk about more than money. And for those of you that don't feel uncomfortable talking about money, I think I'm going to make you uncomfortable when I talk about the other things I'm going to talk about. Is that okay? All right. So for that, we're going to be looking into Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And then chapter 4. Verses 32 to 35. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, and then Acts chapter 4, 32 to 35. Uh, so if you have your Bible, please go there. I'm going to ask you then to stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. This is the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who uh, owned land and houses sold them, brought the money uh, from the sales and put it at the, the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had 
need. This is the word of the Lord. Let me to pray once again. Lord, we pray that as we open up a scripture this morning, you Holy Spirit uses what the scripture already says to transform our minds, move our affections, and influence our will. That we may see, Lord, that the concept of generosity is an evidence of the work of grace in our hearts. Please speak to us. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, you may take a seat. Today then, I'm asking three questions to the text. Why generosity? Why generosity as a discipline? And why generosity in the church? So the first question is, uh, why generosity? As always, it is good to start with a little bit of context in order, in order for us to fully understand what's happening here. And as I give you a brief description of what's happening here, the, the context of the text, I, I want to invite you to imagine yourself being there. Part of the reason why I think it's important is because as we do that, and, and you ought to do that every time you read the Bible, by the way, as you do that, you're going to see that the Lord is moving in such a way that, he's, he's, that there's something that is weird and scary and awesome at the same time. That this experience for the first century church was unique, and yet there's something there that we ought to experience as well. So in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus resurrected, he shows himself to the disciples for 40 days in a row. Just in case any of them are wondering if this is if it's a ghost or if it's an illusion or if someone is making something up, he shows up to his disciples for 40 days in a row. Now Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven, he calls his disciples and he commissions his disciples and his church to be witnesses of him, meaning to proclaim, to live, and to die for him. Then he disappears. He goes up to heaven and disappears. Now imagine yourself being there at that moment. What would you feel? I mean, God is calling you to do something. God is commissioning you to do something, and then he goes away. What would you feel? But the story gets better. Because then the disciples and the rest of the followers of Jesus are together in a home. And this is where the story gets weird because he says that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent, violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came to rest on, on them all. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. And this is known as Pentecost. Now, once again, I want you to imagine that that's you. The Lord is calling you to something. Now he's giving you the power to fulfill that call. And you're sitting there being a good Christian, praying together, spending good time together, and then everything gets violent. And then you hear this wind, and everything is like kind of the stuff we're experiencing right now, that are, now that I think about it. And everything is shaking. And to top it off, what makes it even weird is that you look to your side, and the dude sitting next to your side has fire in the head. Like, what will you do there? <laughs> like, what do you do? 
I told you that this would be a weird and scary and awesome experience at the same time. It gets even better. Because as soon as this happens, and they, are, they have been uh, empowered by the Spirit, Peter, Peter goes out and preaches his first sermon. And he preaches the gospel with such power that the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone that was hearing that sermon. 3,000 people surrendered their life to Jesus. And 3,000 people that came from all different kind of backgrounds and ethnicities and social class and all these things. And that's where the church in the New Testament starts. Weird, scary, and awesome at the same time. Now, it is within that context then that we read the text we read this morning. It is, it is within that context that we got to see what the Lord is doing. And I want to make the argument that generosity is an evidence of the, spirit, of the Spirit of God using the gospel to transform and shape people. Let me say it again. Based on the context of this text, an evidence of your Christianity, an evidence of the Spirit working in you through the power of the gospel to transform you and shape you, um, or to transform you and shape you. In other words, if you really want to see where you stand in your walk with the Lord, you have to see your attitude toward generosity. Now, where do I get that from? Look at chapter 2, verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. Can you say fellowship? To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I put the word there, koinonia, because that's the word that is used in the original language, right? And it's a word that we as a church, we have heard about before. I want you to see that for these people, church, if you will, being a Christian, if you will, was about having the word at the center of everything. You can see it right there. They were gathered. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Meaning that this was a learning community. They wanted to hear the word of God. They wanted to be shaped by the word of God. In other words, there is no Christianity. There is no church without the word of God. But at the same time, pay attention to the word fellowship. So this was not only a learning community, but this was also a loving community. Let me give you some translations of the word fellowship. It could be translated as association, communion, close relationships, partnership, connection. I love this translation. Fellow feeling and also sharing and generosity. The root of the word fellowship is the same root that is used for sharing and generosity. In other words, a person that wants to live in fellowship not only needs to learn how to live in communion with other people, close relationships with other people, partnership with other people, fellow feeling with other people, but it's a person that must learn what it means to share and live lives of generosity. This is a, people, this is a group of people that understood that the community of faith that the, spirit, that the community of faith that the Spirit creates by the power of the gospel is a fellowship community, partnership, connection, fellowship, and sharing and generosity. So what I want to show you here is what generosity looked like for first century Christians. And I want you to remember these three words, life, space, 
and money. That if you fully want to understand what it means to be generous people, you have to pay attention to your life, your space, and your money. And I want to argue that if you are walking with the Lord, or if you want to walk with the Lord right, you don't get to separate those three. They come together. You don't get to give money and not do the other two. You don't get to share your life and not share your space and your money. And you don't get to share your space without sharing your money and your life. Where do I get that from? Thanks for asking. Verse 42. Look at the last part. It says that they, they, they devote themselves to apostles' teachings and fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Look at that it says that the fellowship happened at church, that they shared their life in the context also of the church. But it tells you more in verse 44. It says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Notice that it shows you that this is a group of people that not only are sharing their lives, but are generous with their things and their possessions. Notice that it was not just for me to say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. It was about me willing to, be, to share everything that I had. And there's more in verse 46. It says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, which we can say church. But they also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They understood that fellowship, sharing, generosity cannot be reduced only to the things that we do at church. But that it has to be expanded to our homes. Your space, my space. I want you to see here that one of the evidences that the gospel got to you is hospitality. It's opening your home, opening your apartment to other people. Now, it's interesting because that's just chapter 2. But when you go to chapter 4, you see the same behavior. All believers were, of one, uh, were one in mind, in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. That's what generosity looks like, people. It's like everyone says to one another, everything I have, I have with open hands. Everything I have is here to share. Let me say that again because it makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Everything that I have, I have with open hands. And everything that I have ought to be shared. To the point that verse 34 says that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them. It was distributed to anyone who had need. The relationships were so close. There was such a proximity that they always knew when someone was in need. And from time to time, meaning that when they saw the necessity of other people, there were some in the family of faith that were willing to sell their properties to help other people. Now, just in case there's a brother or sister here uh, thinking and wondering if the Bible is talking about socialism, let me correct your thinking. 
Notice that it says that from time to time, meaning that willingly there were some brothers and sisters that were willingly to, that were willing to sell their property to help somebody else. Bible knows nothing about socialism. This is part of the reason why one of the Ten Commandments is you should not, you should not steal. Meaning that you have the right to have your own things and to work for your own things. Meaning that not everyone's supposed to have the same things. The problem is not having, the problem in the Bible is not with having things. The problem is when those things have you to the point that you cannot share with those that need. The problem is not with you having and collecting things. The problem is when you think that that's your life to the point that you're not willing to surrender anything for the sake of the one in need. You know how crazy it is for the first century church? At least 3,000 people, meaning, and that, that's, we know that that's only counting men, so we have to add women and children. Can you imagine how crazy that was, that let's say there was 10,000 people and there was no needy person among them? No needy person! That's because there was a group of people that understood that fellowship is more than partnership. Fellowship is generosity. With your life, your space, your money, and your possessions. Remember how I told you that I was not going to ask you for money? I'm asking you for your life. That's what generosity looks like. It is because generosity is about life, space, and money. The reason why John Stott said Christian fellowship is caring and sharing. It's caring enough for others that you don't mind sharing your life. I let you in my life, you let me in your life. It's caring enough for others that our aim, is life, our aim is in life is not the accumulation of goods and toys. That's the American dream. The Bible dream is when Christians use what the Lord has given us to bless others and to share it with others. This is why Rosaria Butterfield says Christians are not fear, fearful hoarders, but fear, fearless givers. That's a beautiful sentence. It is caring enough for others that you don't mind sharing your home. Let me quote again Rosaria. She wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, a book that I would recommend any Christian and every Christian to read. She says this, Let God use your home, apartment, dorm room, front yard, community gymnasium, or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that is the point. Building the church and living like a family, the family of God. You know, this morning when I was doing my little editing for the sermon, as I'm reading this one here, um, a couple from the church came to mind. It's actually a couple, a very young couple. Uh, that they're one of the leaders of my daughter's small group. Like any young couple, and you probably, some of you guys remember this, their apartment is this big. No, that's this big. 
uh, so and so much that they, I mean, they can have more than five people there. And yet, they're taking their entire small group and have them there for hours. And in my head is, how do they do that? But they have no idea the effect of that in my daughter's life. Because that's what happens when you open your home. I find it super interesting that this concept of generosity, as hospitality, sharing your space, is one of the qualifications for church leadership. Don't you find that interesting? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says this. Now the overseer, church leaders, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We like all of them, except that one. And the idea, if you, heard, if you were here when I was talking about church leadership, is that everything that First Timothy and Titus demands of church leadership is the same thing that the Lord demands of all Christians. At least most of that. And part of the reason why this is required for church leadership is because church leadership models this to the church. So generosity with your space, hospitality, is not an option. And it's not just extended to church people. It's extended to all people. You know how I know that? Because the word hospitality in the original can be translated as brotherly love, church people, but also love for the stranger and to welcome the stranger. That's why we are called to share space. This might be the reason why in verse 47, chapter 2, verse 47 says, that the believers were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice that the, 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 the outworking of their generosity not only affected other Christians, but affected non-Christians. I actually believe, church, that this is extremely important today. So and so important that our hospitality our generosity with a space is what shows skepticals, post-Christians, and seekers what Christianity looks like. That's what we see in verse 47. We ought to be generous with our life. We ought to be generous with space. And of course, we have to be generous with our money. This might be the reason why there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money. That's why I struggle when people say, man, church shouldn't be talking about money. And I'm saying, are they reading the Bible? I mean, how am I going to stand before the congregation, be faithful to the Bible, and skip all 2,000 verses? Yes, we got to talk about money because money is about being generous. You remember this little verse? Chapter 4, verse 34, that says that there was no needy person among them. That people were willing to sell their possessions, grab the money, put it at apostles' feet, feet so they could distribute it to the people in need. You know what's fascinating about this church? 
that not once we see in the text that no one talked about generosity. No one said anything about you selling your possessions and giving your money away. There's nothing there that talks about that. There is no mention there of the 23% that was required in the Old Testament to give to God and his people. There's no mention of that. There's not even a mention of the 10% that New Testament churches talk about. There's no mention of that. People were just eager to give. Because that's what the gospel does. People were just eager to give because that's what the spirit does. We see something similar in Acts chapter 11, in which some of the members of the church were going through, severe, uh, to, uh, through a severe famine, and the church gathered just to collect money to give it to them. Another example of that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in which it says that the Lord's people every week gave according to their income. We have another example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 in which we have this amazing church called the Macedonian church, which in the midst of their severe trials and extreme poverty, they were rich in generosity. See, this is something that, they, that modern Christians need to learn. These people were not giving out out of their leftovers. These people did not give away because they got a good deal or they made a good sale, or because they got a good bonus. These people gave generously out of their poverty. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he calls all of us that have a lot. And by the way, everyone in this room have a lot. If you have a TV, you have a lot. If you eat every day, you have a lot. If you have transportation, even if it's public transportation, you have a lot. If you get access to health, you have a lot. So this is what 1 Timothy, Timothy says to you and says to me. To not be arrogant, nor, nor to put our hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Look at that there's nothing wrong with having things. And then he commands us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. See, the church, one of the evidences that the church is being transformed by the gospel is that we are generous with the church. 1 Timothy chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Timothy chapter 5, we are to be generous with the church, and we ought to be generous with people in need. Generosity requires your life, your space, and your money. It requires all of you. And you don't get to choose which one of those you pick. That answers the first question. And because you guys are super quiet, we're going to go to the second question to make it even more weird. Is that okay? Why generosity as a discipline? See, disciplines are important because they shape your life. At the end of the day, anybody and everybody needs to have a discipline because it shapes your life. Disciplines helps you to become the person that you ought to become or to be the person that you ought to be. 
For Christians, discipline is the same thing. It helps us become more and more like Jesus. It shapes us into the image of Jesus, who the Lord called us to be. And I find it super interesting that at the beginning of the text we read, in verse 42, it uses the word devoted. Now, the reason why I find that word interesting is because the word devoted can be translated as intense effort, which is a synonym of the word disciplined, meaning that God's people were putting intense effort to the word of God, to listen to the word of God, and to practice fellowship generosity. Now, why would the Bible use that word there? Because the Bible is telling us that generosity requires intentionality. It requires intentionality because it's countercultural and counter-nature. Listen, one of the things that worry me the most as a pastor is that the church continues to be influenced by the idols of the world. Four idols in our culture today. The idol of sex and sexuality. People are obsessed with sex and obsessed with trying to define uh, their sexuality. Outside the Bible. Idol number two, the idol of freedom of in, and individualism. Idol number three, the idol of comfort and entertainment. And idol number four, the idol of money and power. And part of the reason why we need the discipline of generosity is because it helps us deal with at least three of those things that we all struggle with. It's a fight for your heart. It's a fight for your heart against the idols of freedom and individualism. You can't do generosity unless you die to yourself. It's a fight for your heart against comfort and entertainment because you have to die for yourself for the sake of others. And it's a fight for your heart against the love of money and power. So I want to invite you to see generosity in three different ways. Generosity as, a, as love in action. See, everyone in this room knows, and every, everyone worshiping with us online knows, that if you want to share your life, your space, and your money, it's costly. Right? You have to die to yourself somehow. And the definition of the word love in the Bible is always doing something for the sake of somebody else. Not for you, but for somebody else. As believers, we cannot allow ourselves to be so busy and so concerned with our own things, individualism, that I don't have time for people. That's not loving. As believers, we must learn to sacrifice comfort for the sake of other people. As believers, we must learn to see that the money the Lord has given us is money to invest in things that matter. You know what matters? People. That's what you ought to give to the church. Because the church ought to be about people. The glory of God and the well-being of others. And that's what you got to give to the poor and need. Because people matter. Generosity is love in action. It is costly. It requires that you die to yourself. Generosity is also stewardship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your bodies. Honor God with everything you have, your life. 
If you're a believer, you don't belong to you. You belong to God. He tells you how you live your life. If you're a believer, your space, your home, your apartment, your house, is not just yours. It belongs to God and his purposes. Let me quote Rosaria here once again. Those who live out radically, uh, radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs, but as God's gift to use for the expansion of his kingdom. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Isn't that true? What about your money? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Everything you have was given to you by God. So let me do a little bit of pastoral work because even if you have been in the church, if you struggle with the, the concept of money, it's because you still think that your money is yours. So, so let's pretend for a second. I call the church and I say, listen, the Bible doesn't call you to give 10%. It calls you to give sacrificially. That's what the Bible calls you to do, right? But let's say that 10% is a good idea to start with, Right? You, you make the decision, but at least 10% is a good idea to start with. And you hear that. Some people will hear that and say, well, Hannibal, 10%? That's a lot. Why would I give God 10%? You see what the problem is with that? You think that your money is yours. And that you're giving God 10% of what is yours. I want to invite you to flip it around. I want to invite you to see that 100% of your money is God's money. And he lets you keep 90%. You know how generous God is? <laughs> your money is not your money. It's God's money. That's why, church, if the Lord has given you a lot, 10% is not generosity. You give... Until you can say in your heart, my God is not my money. My God is my God. That's how much you give. You also got to see generosity as sanctification. This is why this is the discipline. You got to give life, space, and money. Because you need to learn to die to yourself. You remember this famous verse, your treasure is where your heart is? You would only invest in those things that matter to you. You will be generous toward people or things or places or whatever, and your heart will follow. In other words, your heart will follow your generosity. You want to invest your lives in the lives of others? You must invest your life in the life of others. So as a church, that's really simple. You have talents and abilities. you got to use them for the glory of God and the well-being of others. I was there, uh, yesterday in a men's Bible study here on Saturday morning. And one of the things that I shared with them is that when you think about these terms, these things, about our, our life being for the glory of God and the well-being of others, there shouldn't be any reason why in the church we don't have volunteers for everything we do. Listen, I don't want to make you feel guilty, but please feel guilty. You, your life 
is to be invested in other people. In all kinds of different ways. So please use them for the glory of God. What about your home? If your home is not your home, but your home is for the glory of God and the well-being of others, how about if you host things? How about if you host a small group? How about if you invite people from the church and outside the church? Invest in the kingdom by opening the doors of your house, your apartment. How about your money? Listen, I don't have to give you a reason why you got to give. The Bible does that. All I could tell you is that wherever you put your money, that's where your heart is. You really got to think about that. And last one, I want you to see generosity as worship. And this one leads me to my third question. Why generosity in the church? Now, I know you notice this, but in chapter 2, verse 46, for example, it says that they broke the bread in the temple and in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. I notice that it says that people were giving their lives away, their homes away, their money away, their possessions away, but not, not complaining, you know. They did it with gladness and joy. And this is why I know that generosity is an act of worship. It's when you have been transformed by the power of the gospel to give away its pleasure. It's joy, it's freedom. But if you don't think that that's the case here, pay attention to chapter 4, verse 33. It says that with great powers, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully working in them all. Notice where the joy, the power, and the motivation to become generous people comes from. The grace of God. The grace of God that was fully displayed in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. The grace of God that was fully displayed when Jesus was willing to pay the price. You know how expensive you are. You were bought with a price. You know what that price was? Jesus' life. That's the power. That's the motivation. That's what invites you to uh, replicate what you have already received. The reason why you want to share your life is because God, our Savior, God in Jesus Christ, our Savior, already shared his life. The reason why you want to open your homes is because that's exactly what the Lord did. Not only he opened the home, the, 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 not only he opened his heart for us, but he was willing to leave his home because grace is costly. Not only Jesus gave us everything we need, but he gave us something that is much better than money. He gave us salvation. He gave us freedom. He gave us joy. He gave us gladness. The power, the motivation, the invitation for us to become generous people comes only when you realize what you already have. Now, did you notice that one of the ways how we practice generosity in the church is by breaking the bread, by participating in communion? Now, because I really want us to become generous people more and more, 
I want us to take this as the generosity of God in display. Think about this. If you really want to know how much you are being loved, look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but in specific, the cross, as loving action. Didn't he love you there? If you have a hard time understanding the concept of the grace of God, look at what Jesus did. That is the grace of God personified. If you have a hard time understanding how generous God was for you, look at what Jesus did. He didn't surrender money. He surrendered everything for you. The more you look at that, the more you embrace that, the more you taste it and you see it, the more generous we will become. Amen? Now, communion is for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you haven't done that, Maybe communion, you're not ready for communion just yet. But before participating in communion, the Lord always asks us to examine our hearts and examine ourselves. And I want you to think about your generosity in terms of your life, space, and money. And if you need to repent, this is the time to do it. And if you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, this is the time to do it. And then we will participate together. Just stay there for a few seconds. you to remove the first cover of your cup and I want you to hold the bread in your hand and I want you to remember that on the night when Jesus he was betrayed he took the bread and we are giving thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me you may participate Now let's remove the second cover. And before participating, I want you to remember that in the same way, the Lord took this cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, we are grateful 
that we don't have to be generous just because we have to be generous. We are grateful, Lord, that we get to recognize, we get to hear, and we get to recognize and believe that the only reason why you call us to be generous is because we have a generous God that gave it all for us. Gave us the best gift ever. His one and only son. Lord, why would we keep anything from you if you gave it all for us? I pray, Lord, that we may be able to live our lives here reflecting what you already did for us. We don't need to earn anything, protect anything, because everything we could possibly want, we already have in Jesus. And we don't have to protect anything, Lord, because everything we are and everything we have is already protected in Jesus. Help us become radical givers. People of generosity with our life, our space, and our money. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, The music to our last song is printed in the worship folder today. You might find it helpful to follow along with the music and join in when you can.
service, a couple of things for you. Number one, I want to remind you that it is a privilege for the staff to pray for you every Tuesday morning. So if you have prayer requests, please let us know. Use the QR code that you find somewhere around you, and I guarantee you that we're going to be praying for you and your needs. Number two, I want to remind you of something that we said at the beginning of the service uh, during this Lent season. We want to be intentional about spending time with the Lord and interceding for the things that we need to intercede. So uh, I want to invite you, if you haven't done it yet, uh, to join us in our Bible reading plan. Uh, it's two chapters a day, a time of reflection, meditation, and a time of prayer. Uh, we want to do that until Easter. And then after that, if you want to stop, that's between you and the Lord, but that's okay, all right? Number two, uh, we are being intentional about praying together, so if you have the time, I'll be available on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8, we're praying in the East Worship, uh, it's just one hour of, of a straight prayer. Um, we are, we are asking the Lord to do uh, the Lord to do amazing things in our midst, and number three, we are asking you to commit to pray for one, one family member, one friend, and one co-worker. Is that Okay. All right, let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Make the Lord, may the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And we all say, Amen. thanks for coming. We love you. Have a, have a blessed day.